God is good, isn't he? We got Easter around the corner, and we're going to celebrate that, and what's going to happen, encourage you to invite some friends to come with you on Easter, and, um, and we'll see what God is up to that day. Um, uh, there, you saw the video of our online campus pastor, I think, going out and, and talking with people. It's crazy what people are coming up with about what happens after you die, isn't it? And uh, I would be scared to death if I didn't, if, if I had, a, I was just trying to figure out it for myself and didn't have any credible uh, foundation to put that in at all. And uh, we're, you know, when we die, we don't really die, we just transfer. And uh, I often tell people when they're on their deathbed, uh, um, just uh, a good friend that is, Pass, is in that process of passing away, and I just saw him last week, and I said, listen, uh, the death angel, there's a death angel. In fact, it really talks to that spirit of death. said, when he comes, Jesus will step in and say, no, this one's mine, and he'll reach his hand out, and when you do, you just grab his hand, and you're going to go, and, and it will, there will be nothing to fear. It will be an extremely peaceful moment. All those fears of death that you may have, you don't have to worry about it. Don't waste your time getting scared in death because when you get there, you're like, that's it? <laughs> it was actually a lot better <laughs> than I thought. Like, heaven is better than earth. Um, and, it, and it is the reality. I think a lot of times we think heaven is second to earth. It won't be as nice as earth. But how many, how many believe and know that heaven is way better, and that's not even our eternal destination. The new earth will be even better than that, right? So st stop. It's like it'd be compared to driving around that Ford Escort or Fusion, and you think that's nice, and you got a Lamborghini around the corner, all right? Some of you are like, I don't know about that, but whatever. Uh, we're in a series called When We Pray, and I want to talk about uh, the, this, this idea of intercession, and it's a term not a lot of people are aware of. Before I do that, let's go to the theme verse. Uh, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues. They love to use prayer and to pray in front of people to make them think that I'm a really good Christian because look at how good I can pray. And it doesn't mean that you don't pray in public. It means their purpose of prayer was really for themselves and for their own identity and for people to think there's something special. Um, and some people say, that's why I don't pray in public. That's just, it's not true to the scripture. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is on scene. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So the first week we talked about there can be a wrong way to pray. And Jesus, you know, the disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us to pray because how we've been praying isn't, um, isn't working. And, and I'm, I'll be in Israel in a few weeks um, and, and right at the temple. And there's a, the western wall of the temple, which I think is what I call a portal to heaven. There's some places that are just easier to pray in, and I've been in those places where it's just like every time you're there, it's just easy to pray. The Western Wall is one of those places, but when you're there, 
People will put phylacteries, they wrap around their forehead and their arms, they wrap it around their little boxes with scrolls in the boxes. They even, put, they open the box and they put little scrolls in there and, they, and then they pray, memorize prayers, and the whole time they're praying, they're looking around at people. And um, it's memorized and there's no connection between their heart and what they're saying. They're just going through the emotion, or the 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 just going through the action of it, thinking that is what you're supposed to do. You know, it's an interesting thing. Like when you're praying, you're talking to God. Imagine if we treated our spouse the way we treat God in relationship. How many know if you did that today, you'd need therapy by the end of the week. You need counseling by the end of the week. We really have this dysfunctional relationship with God if we think, and I know there are people that say, well, I grew up in a tradition where we had memorized prayers. And it's not even the memorized prayers that is much the issue. It's the fact that they have no connection to my heart. Like, there, there's a, like we, when we memorize it, we're just, when our mind is completely d d just disconnected from what we're actually talking to the Father about, and, and God says we're, we need to connect to the Lord, and then put God's agenda first in your prayer. Ask Him what the agenda of your prayer time should be, rather than just going in prayer, going through your list, laundry list of things that you're talking to God about, and then, and then saying, God doesn't answer my prayers. Because, because one, we've never put him first. It, l listen, God is always first. The moment you put him first in anything in your life, things will go much better. You put him first in your finances, things are going to go better in your finances. You put him first in your prayer time, it's going to go better. You put him first in your life, even in your efforts of life, you'll, you'll be amazed at how the things you do on earth will go a lot better when he's first. The second week we talked about God's will doesn't always happen, especially when we don't really sit on earth. That God's will doesn't always happen. And we may, well, if God, it's God's will, then it will just happen. Why should I pray? Because his will doesn't happen unless you pray. His will always happens in heaven but it doesn't always happen on earth. And you have to, you through prayer, we release his will on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven because we're releasing it. God put us here to be that vessel that does that. And then God never changes, but his, he does change his mind. And we talked about both of those things in that second message. The third week, we talked about the power of God that was in Jesus abides in us, is waiting in us to be distributed to the world around us. So remember what we did. We did those, those actions. How many remember those actions? Just say, okay, so put your hands up. We're going to do, I'm going to have you do one other thing today you're not going to want to do. But just put your hands up. Put your hands up. And then we receive the power of God, remember, and then we, we contain it. Yeah, that's good, Jake. Jed, I, I like how you're doing that. You just hug yourself. You needed a hug today anyway, right? You contain the power of God, and then you do the sprinkler dance. You broadcast the power of God. So where do you, re you got to receive, you can't broadcast something that you don't contain. There's a lot of people who are empty trying to broadcast something, and they don't understand like when they do it, why it's not working, because you can give knowledge but have no power. You have a form of godliness, but you don't have the power. 
You, you have to go into the throne room and God, through His Holy Spirit, rests in you. He's in you and He rests upon you. And then, so you receive it, then you contain it. It changes you. Your knowledge does not change you. God's power does. You're a slave to His power. You're like a toaster that's slave to electricity. You can toast really good, but if you have no power, ain't toasting a thing. Right? So you plug into the power of God, and it changes you, and you can fulfill the purpose, and then you broadcast it. So the people literally, when they're around you, you, you broadcast life to them, and it, it literally changes their life because they're around you. It becomes very attractive for people to want to be around you because whenever they're around you, they feel something. It was something that when we've had neighbors over to our home that are unbelievers, they said, we just like coming. We never get invited to their homes. And we're like, do you have like demonic things all over the place? They know we're pastors, but they come over and they just don't want to invite us in. Or they, and, and, one of the couple, and one of the families said, the reason everybody likes to come to your home is because we feel really good here. There's something about this home. One person called it peace. There's a peace in the home. And now, you may not know it because you experience it every day, but if you're a believer in Christ, there's peace in your home that you take for granted that, oh, you haven't been to my home. I got 10 kids, and everything doesn't feel peaceful. Now, that you're, you're thinking the chaos of your home is in peace, but the prince of peace, when people come in, even in the midst of chaos, they they sense a spirit of peace in this place. You don't know it. That's why it's so important to invite unbelievers to your home so that when they come in, they experience what you take for granted. And that's part of why you don't invite them over. You don't realize your home is different than other homes. But you invite them into your home, and they're like, man, I love it in you. There's something about this home. And when they feel that in the atmosphere, they're like, There's, what, is it, what is it about you that has a home that feels this way that I don't feel anywhere else. And then it becomes a place where you can lead people to the Prince of Peace. So today what I want to talk about is two things really that are different but yet the same, intercession and spiritual warfare. And um, when you think of intercession, um, you know, and I say the joy of intercession, uh, <laughs> I never really thought I'd put those two words together because when I think th always thought of intercession, it was long prayers. How many thought? And when you hear intercession, you think, oh, those are long prayers, like our prayers. And when I went into ministry, I was in a church that had a number. I was blessed to be in a church that had a number of intercessors. And I would go to a prayer meeting, and, th and they, would, they would go, they, they were crazy. <laughs> they prayed with passion, they prayed with fire, they, they, they prayed over things that had nothing to do with their lives, but God had put in their heart for the city, and it was just amazing, and I'm a bottom line person, all right, I'm a, my wife always says, you, you don't go around any bush, you just cut it down and go straight ahead, you got a chainsaw, and you go, I'm a bottom line person, how many bottom line people are in the room, right, you're a bottom line person, raise your hand, okay, uh, and then there, then there are the round-the-bush people. How many of those are in here? You go around the bush. Okay, what you don't understand is some of you didn't raise your hand. If you didn't raise your hand for bottom-line person, you're a round-the-bush person. 
and you're getting around the bush by not raising your hand. You're just saying, not, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. You're around the bush person. So don't think you're getting out of it. You're probably the person who thinks, I'm just balanced. I'm just in the middle. I'm, I'm perfect. <laughs> yes, you are. You know, for me, when I pray, it's just God fix it. There's a problem. <laughs> Period. <laughs> God help me. <laughs> Period. Let me get to the point. So you think of intercession, you think of long prayers, and that's not really what intercession is. And we're going to talk about it a little bit more. But before I move too far into it, I want to talk about this, the importance of a balanced spiritual life. Because we've been talking about prayer, and what I've noticed is when people get into something, they can get passionate about something, and then they can start to almost go overboard, and then they're that's what everything is about, right? We're seeing right now in our, some of our university and colleges revivals taking place in prayer and in, in times with the Lord, and that's amazing. And, and then what happens is people become so passionate about revival that the people who are in it or a part of it look at everyone else and say, you know what, if you're not in this, you're kind of less than us. You don't really have the full understanding of what we're walking in. You don't really get it. Or, or um, the, another area of the church uh, right now that's really starting to take off is deliverance. And there's no question that it's important in the life of every believer that there's deliverance. But then, you know, we start doing conferences and the people who get up there say, this is where it's at, it's all about this, and you need to, and then pretty soon we're thinking it's all about deliverance. And I got more understanding and knowledge than you do. Like, I got a better grasp on what this is, and I'm just, I'm really kind of, you're kind of just not as spiritual as me, because, and there's this attitude that occurs that I'm more spiritual because I have, I'm tapped into the de to deliverance. And then it happens with healing, and then it happens with the financial thing, then it happens with word, and then it happens where, like, I'm more tapped in, and what happens is whenever you get out of balance, you get a wobble. And that wobble is pride. And we start to then step out of what is true about what we've studied. Because everybody knows, you, you know, God wants you. And, and I've heard this thinking, well, there are specialists and there are practitioners. Now, God has given you, every one of you in here, all of the gifts of the Spirit to use according to how He determines in whatever situation you're in. The reason you operate in some areas more than others is you operate in more faith in that area. The more experienced you get in certain areas, the more confidence you have. And you op but that doesn't mean that that's just your thing. So listen, we need deliverance, but the moment, the moment we make the tool greater than the person it's for, we step out of God's desire and will. But say this with me, God is love. Love is the preeminent. We love people. He gave us the ability to deliver them from demons. He gave us the ability to pray for them for healing. He gave us the ability to experience God in an incredible way in revival. He's given us His Word. He's given us worship. He's giving us all those tools. But God didn't create man for deliverance. And when you start to put a stake in a theology over your love for people, and how do you do that? 
to start to think you have better understanding of that and you start to look at them in a divisive way. Remember, Jesus prayed for unity. To unify. So you have to be careful when you go to conferences and all those areas. It's good, and a lot of those things are true, but there's some things you just got to guard your heart in. If it's starting to make you proud or feel like you're more, you're better than the body of Christ, and you begin to attack the body of Christ, keep in mind, you're not attacking people, you're attacking Christ. You're attacking Christ. What an, it, it's something you got to, even when people, when people go out that have been in the church and they get wounded by someone or something in the church, and they go out and they start attacking some, the, the body of Christ, while well, the church is this and the church is that, you may be right, but you're wrong. You have to keep in mind, as imperfect as the church is, and everybody would say it's imperfect. It's funny how when we get wounded, we then turn around and attack her. The head of her is him. And you can't attack the body of Christ without attacking Christ. The head of Christ. The head of the body. Does that make sense? So I have good news, and I want to I tell you about it, um, and I want you to understand the blessing of intercession. This really is good news. Some of what I'm going to share you today is good news. I have a friend, and I call him a friend. He's not a close friend, but he's close enough that I have his cell number and can text him, and he texts me. He's a pastor from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, pastor in an enormous church uh, called Bethany World Prayer Center, pastored it for a number of years, and... Uh, Whenever I'm with him, uh, you know, we talk about different things, and he made a big investment in my life. I learned a lot through this man. Anyway, he was here, and I was talking to him. I was kind of complaining about the attack of the enemy and how I felt like the attack of the enemy was uh, increasing, and the, the battle was getting more fierce. This is a number of years ago. We were actually, yeah, it was a number of years ago here in, in Minnesota, though. And he was riding in the car with me, and he wasn't saying anything. And I wasn't really socially aware that him not saying anything is maybe he wasn't agreeing with what I was saying. But he listens. That's what he does. And then when he speaks, he says a few words, and it's like he preached a message. That's, that's how he is. He's, he's, he's probably the strongest prayer person I've ever met. And, uh, and so I'm, he's, and I finish right? And I'm waiting for him to say, yes, I agree, and then kind of chime in, but he didn't say that. He actually, he said this, uh, James, I think you're testifying a little much about Satan, what Satan's doing. I think you're testifying a little too much about what Satan's doing. You're giving him too much credit. And this is the part I loved. He said, uh, so in the season when you don't think he's attacking you much, should you send him a gift basket? Yeah, and then I listened. <laughs> Satan is always on the prowl. There's something I learned a number of years ago that I wasn't exercising in that moment, but a lot of us live like God, we had a great day, and then we had a bad day. 
right? How many know we live in this wave? Like it was a really good day and it was a really bad day. Like God was doing great things in this day and God didn't do anything in this day. Or God did really good in this day and Satan was really working on this. I was really under attack. How many agree that that's kind of how we do it? And a lot of times we do that because that's what we were raised to think. So our family of origin sets how we deal with it. And we just think life is a little bit like this. And then, and then you think, I have three or four bad days, one good day, right? How many feel sometimes like, you're all like, I'm not raising my hand. That's okay, you don't need to. Uh, you start to feel like, man, I got more bad days than I have good days. And here's the truth, and this is, this is true. I felt like Jesus when he said, I'm going to tell you the truth, and this is true. <laughs> when you say, Here, here's the truth. Life isn't like a wave where you have good days and bad days. Life is like railroad tracks. And God is always doing something good in your day, and Satan is always doing something bad in your day. He's always on the prowl. Satan is not increasing, and it's not, but in that day, if you choose, you can have a good day every day. And in that day, if you choose, you can have a bad day every day. Because both of them are working in your life. And you say, well, what if you have a trial? You're going to tell me that's a good day? Jesus said, or, and James said, consider it pure joy when you face trials. of Goody, <laughs> I'm going through a trial. It was a good day. I got a new trial, a new challenge. I'm growing. Jesus is promoting me, right? So what do you choose? Do you choose to have joy in this day because you're looking at what God's up to and is doing in your life? Or are you going you gonna to look at what Satan's doing? Because listen, whatever one you're focusing on is the thing you're worshiping in that day. So if you're focused on what the enemy is doing, you're actually, wor no, I'm saying how I don't like it and I hate it and I'm upset with it. That's how you worship in hell. What, do you, what kind of response do you think Satan wants? You to go, oh, praise Satan, you're wonderful. No, Satan is worshipped when, you, when you're vile and just like him. When you act just like, but when you worship the Lord, we worship God and we, we say, God, I'm going to worship you no matter what it looks like today because I see you doing something in this day. I rec and by the way, when you do that, it affects your faith and your faith empowers one or the other. To think otherwise is to say Satan has power to determine your, your days, your steps. And the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. Satan is not going to dictate my day. He isn't going to order my steps. So here's the first one. Jesus is interceding for you. When someone comes up to you and they say, I'm praying for you, there's some people you know when they say that they are been, they've been praying for you. There's other people when they say that you know they weren't praying for you, they're trying to tell you, I feel bad for what you're going through. And their way of doing that is say, I'm praying for you. You, you could be mean and rude and say, oh really, when? Now, you're not going to do that because you would never put somebody in a position that's uncomfortable, but, but the reality is, because we don't want to make them become a liar as well, <laughs> right? <laughs> that was rude. <laughs> it may have been true, but it was rude, right? 
Romans 8, 34, look at what it says. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also what? He's, he's interceding. This is good news, that Jesus is actually praying for you. Remember last week when I said if Jesus was at the altar, pretty much everybody in here wouldn't leave when the clock strikes whatever it needs to strike for you to leave until you have Jesus prayed for you. But the same power that was in his body rests inside of you. So why are you leaving this building today without somebody praying for you? Because the same power in Christ lives inside of you and that's why we broadcast it. The people around us, right? Remember? Well, Jesus is, if you said, yeah, I would have went to the altar. If Jesus is there, he, I would have went to the altar because all my answers, are, if that's what you really, really believe, he's interceding for you right now. If Jesus is praying for you, how many know you're in good hands, right? Hebrews 7.25 says, therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. You know what's amazing? When Christ came to earth, his purpose was to die on the cross. Now that he's been resurrected, he's at the right hand of the Father, and his purpose is to pray for you. Don't think for a moment God doesn't know what you're going through. God knows everything you're going through, and he's praying for you through his son, Jesus Christ. He's making intercession. He's currently sitting next to God on the right side, interceding for you. But here's the thing. Intercession is not prayer. Intercession is not prayer. Because most of us think intercession is prayer. It's an activity. Faith is not prayer, but we pray a prayer of faith, right? By the way, let me ask you, what thing in your life are you praying about that requires you to have incredible faith? That there's no way in your ability that that can be accomplished. You need God to do such a miracle in your life that you would, you would be forced to say to anyone who asks you, that was God. What, what is it in your life right now? And if you don't have anything, write in your journal right now. It says, I need to find something that I have such faith in that I, that, that it's a, I, can, I know God did this in my life. Why? Because when you experience it, you'll be like, oh, you know what? When I pray, things do happen. Because the enemy loves to explain away things that God did in your life, but you could say, I did that. And, he, and you didn't. You know, there's someone right now we have that uh, our online campus pastor, he's, he, there's something, I'm not going to tell you what it is. If it works, you're going to find out about it on Easter. And, and I say, if it works, he would tell you it's going to work, right? It is that crazy. It's that crazy. And it puts God in a position to either come through or he will put himself in a tough spot. And I look at that and I'm like, God, that's how Christians become crusty and stale. Is we, we refuse to put ourselves in the gap where we are in a position that God has to come through or I fall. We always hedge our bets. If God does it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to put God in a position to do it. And if he doesn't, then I'll do this. And you become stale. You become apathetic. 
We, we, we literally, our worship just does this gradual thing where we become, it doesn't matter. Your body may get old, but God wants to, you to have the spirit of David in your old age of worship and praise and, and youthfulness even when you're in your 90s. There is a, a woman I remember from Michigan when we first went into Michigan. Bessie McMillan, that's her name. It takes me a while for him to come, but Bessie McMillan was her name. She had white hair. She'd come up with her, her, her cane up to the altar during worship. And, and she'd stand there and go, and the altar during worship, this is in Michigan, she'd tap her cane on and she'd start going like this and she would worship in 90 something, right? And uh, she would just worship God. And, and I asked her one time, like, man, I just love, how do you keep worshiping in your 90s? She said, you just don't stop. <laughs> you just don't stop. You keep worshiping the Lord. That's what God's calling us to. Intercession is an act of bringing two parties together. That's what intercession is. It's an act of bringing two parties together. It's when you do this. So if I say, hey, Zach, Pastor Zach, can you come here for a second? If you come here, Jed, can you come over here? This is literally, I'm going to intercede right now for Zach, okay? I'm going to intercede. I'm going to intercede. And there you go. I just interceded, okay? Thank you, guys. You can have a seat. That's intercession. Well, what do you mean? It's supposed to be long prayer. No, 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 no. Prayer is the act of taking something or someone and connecting it to the Father in heaven. Taking the will of God and connecting it and focusing it on something and bringing them together. I've just interceded on that behalf. Look at something that this word is used in the Old Testament 46 times. And here are two times where it's used. In Joshua 17.10, it says, Southward, it was Ephraim, and northward, it was Manasseh, and the sea is in its border, and they met together in Asher on the north. What, the word met together was intercession. That's where that used. They came together, and they met together. It's creating the medium, the meeting. The other one is Josh, Joshua 19.11, and it says, And their border went up to the sea of a hard word, and reached to another hard word, and reached to an even harder word. So, reached to reached to, meeting together, and reaching to. You're reaching to, and then you're bringing them together. That's what intercession is actually talking about in that moment. Isaiah 59, 16 says, And he saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness, it sustained him. Jesus, this is a Messiah verse, he said, Jesus said, there was no intercessor, so I became the intercessor between God and man. So salvation was intercession, where God grabbed you and he connected you to the Father. And he still connects you to the Father to this day. Here's the second one. The Holy Spirit is interceding. The Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 26 to 27 says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through the wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of Christ because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. This is interesting because we talked last week about the Holy Spirit being in us and resting on us, right? The Holy Spirit, through your prayer language, 
is the Spirit in you praying to the Father perfect prayers. Perfect prayers. There is a situation, um, well, let me, do you know the Bible calls you sheep, right? You're sheep, so just give me a good bath. See, I told you I was going to ask you to do something worse than this, right? Bah, right? You're sheep. Do you know that sheep are not load-bearing animals? No one would ever say, I'm going on a safari, so I need to go get me a pack sheep, right? Sheep follow the shepherd. They go with the shepherd. And there's some sheep that want to get out in front thinking they're leading, but the shepherd's leading, right? And sheep, but they don't carry the load. In fact, the shepherd says, I carry the load. The sheep don't carry the load. Prayer is taking the burden off of you and placing it to the shepherd, giving it to the shepherd. And when, we, when the Holy Spirit intercedes, what we're doing is we're praying to the Father. So when we're done praying, you should feel less of a burden than when you started. So I was praying for a young couple came to me. This is back when we were in the middle school in Richfield. Um, and they had come up to me and they said, will you pray for us? We're wanting to buy this home. And I'm like, uh, sure. So I begin to pray, but like usual, I pray in the spirit. And, you know, I would have, if I had just prayed, I just, Lord, help this house sell, make it all happen. I would have done all of that. But I prayed in the spirit and I felt like the Lord said, gave me what to pray for. So I said, Lord, if this house is truly for them, make it happen. But, and then I prayed what I knew the Lord was telling me to pray. But Lord, if it's not, shut the door that they can't even get in the house no matter how much they try to manipulate the situation, right? And I was thinking in my mind that they wouldn't be able to buy it because the finances would fall through or the people wouldn't want to sell it or something like that, right? So they, the, later, they come back to me and said, I said, did you get that? No, we didn't get the house. I said, why? Well, we got there. We couldn't get in the house. Our realtor couldn't get in the house. We had to call their, real, the, their realtor. We couldn't get in the house at all. And no matter how much we tried to get in, we looked for windows. We couldn't even get in the house, and it sold, Then we couldn't buy it. Why? Now, do you think that would have happened if I had not prayed? That prayer. See, most of us think that would have happened regardless of whether I prayed or not. So how many things have happened in our life that if we had prayed, God would have prevent, pre prevented us from walking into? And don't get me wrong, you walked into something. If you had prayed, you didn't need to walk into it. And God still walked with you into something he never wanted you in. Isn't he worthy of worship? Don't you love God that even when you make mistakes, he's like, here we go again. I wish you'd just ask me before you go and do this. All right? Here we go again. Before you pray for someone, ask the Holy Spirit to lead you in how to pray. Pastor Zach was telling us a story about how a man got hit by a car in St. Peter. And when he was going to go pray for him in the hospital, the Holy Spirit told him, he's not going to survive. Pray for the family. He listened to the Holy Spirit, prayed for the family because the Lord had already spoke to him. Right? I'm going to tell you, when you hear from God and you begin to pray his will on earth, it, it is refreshing because you see that will happen. You see it happen over and over. You see the answers to those things over and over. And then, and then we are interceding. We are interceding. 
we pray, when we pray, we're, we're building bridges between God and people. We pray for it. First Timothy 2.1 says, I urge you then, first of all, all, that petitions, prayer, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. That we pray for our child that isn't serving the Lord. We pray for our marriage. We, we reach out, grab, when we pray, we reach and get, get, grab God's will, and we grab that situation, and we bring them together, and we intersect them so that a miracle takes place where they meet. We have to believe, if I could just get God in this situation, this is going to happen. And, and here's the thing that I think really great. We, we tend to be very selfish. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that humans are fundamentally boring? Have you noticed that? You're like, I'm not, I'm not boring. Here, here's the thing. When we take something and we believe only God can work in that, or it, God, I could do it, but God can do it better, we will find ourselves praying more for God to do things in our life. We, there's this thing at Bethel's Rock we call prayer of three. Prayer of three. You take three people and you pray for them. They don't know Christ and you pray for them. We're, but a lot of times we're selfish. We only pray for those things that affect us directly. How many things are we praying for that do not have a direct effect on me? That God has a heart for and he needs people who aren't directly connected to that. They're saying, I'm going to take on that and I'm going to pray for that. I'm going to intercede in that area. This prayer of three are three people you know that don't know the Lord. You put their names down on a piece of paper. You put it somewhere where you see it every day and you put it and you begin to intercede for those three people every single day, I'm telling you, you will see people come to Christ on that list. You'll replace your list again and again because the reason so many people are not coming to Christ is no one took the time to intercede for them. No, 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 pastor. That's getting overboard. If God wanted them saved, they'd get saved. He wants everyone saved. I think he said the harvest is ripe. The problem isn't the harvest. It might be the laborers. It's those who aren't loving what he loves. So it's the spiritual war that is going on in the heavenlies. First, you need to be aware of the spiritual war, right? There's the sky, the heavens that the birds in. Then there's the universe that the astronauts go in. That's the second heaven. The Bible calls the heaven of the spirit realm the third heaven. And it's in the third heavens that Paul said, I was in the third heaven when I saw, and then he shares what he experienced. There is a spiritual realm, do you believe? Ephesians 6, 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. You notice that it's not singular. There's a polarity there. There's multiple demonic forces, fallen angels, principalities, which means princes over cities. 
Look at Daniel's story, Daniel 10, 12 to 13. It says, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain an understanding to humble yourself before God, your words were heard. I have come to response, in response to them, but the prince of Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. What he's saying is, this is what he said, uh, God answered your prayer the first day you prayed. But when the messenger was bringing the answer to you, the principality. Now, if you don't believe, maybe you're here and you say, I don't believe in spiritual things. It's all about whether I go to heaven or hell or not. Friend, there's something more than just that. There is a spiritual realm. God sent that message to Daniel and the principality, the prince of Persia, the prince of that territory, which was a demonic prince, prevented him from bringing that to Daniel. Daniel continued to pray spiritually fighting that battle on earth, Michael, the archangel, has to come and do battle with the prince of Persia to release the messenger to come to Daniel. You say, well, is this like some movie? Like, literally, I understand if you're sitting here and like, you know, like Christianity is just this linear thing. It's on a timeline. And it's, it's all in this box of physical. But you have to understand, most of history is in the spiritual. And the, the next step when understanding is understanding that a lot of what happens on earth is really occurring in the spiritual realm. It, it's, it's influencing what we see around us. Go to, go to Daniel 10, 20, 21. I'm going to show you this. It says, so he said, do you know why I've come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. This is the angel telling Daniel this, this principality, the fallen angels. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. There's another prince of Greece will come to fight with the prince of Persia. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. And, and look at this. No one supports me against them except Michael. And what does it say? Your prince. There are princes that rule over the princes of the territory, the kingdom of the world. But we have a prince that rules in our life, that fights with us and for us. His name is Michael. That there's a, a prince that comes and defeats the princes of this world. You look at the demoniac man. He, he said uh, he, uh, in Mark 5, 8, he said he, to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked, what is your name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. He also begged him earnestly that he would not send him out of the country. Why? Because they, that principality that was in this man, those, those demons that were in him had established itself in that area. And you say, well, I don't know if I believe in the demons. Well, that man had them, and when Jesus cast them out, the man became human again, became what he was before the demons, and then they jumped in the pigs, and the pigs went oink, 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 right into the water. They went crazy. The people who were watching knew something happened because they couldn't see the spirits, but they could see the effect of the spirits on, those, on the being of the man and then into the pigs. Here's the last thing. Don't freak out about it. Don't freak out about it. Because you're under the blood of Christ. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Prayer sets us free. You don't need to freak out about demons. The only time Satan has any power over you is when you're not confident about who you are. And you give him permission to operate in your life. And you open doors for him to operate in your life when you don't need to or you shouldn't. 
Philippians, look at this, Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. Don't be afraid. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your cares upon him, for he, what? Cares for you. So what are you doing? You're casting your cares. You cast your fears. You cast your anxieties on him. It says in Psalms 55, 22, cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. I shall not be, I shall not be moved, right? Back when the songs were right and holy, right? What are we doing? We're casting our cares on him. We don't freak out. Let me, let me end with this question. Who is the boss? Who's the boss? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the dark age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, against principalities. So who is the head of those demonic forces? Don't answer this question. I, I want you to think, who is the head of those demonic forces? I know what most people think, Satan. This is not true. Look at Colossians 2.10. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principalities and powers. Jesus. All the power they operate was given to them by God, and they now operate in it. But they aren't the king of kings, and they aren't the Lord of lords. And you possess the power of a son in the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. And we worship him because there ain't a power in hell or on earth that's greater than the power that's inside of each one of us. That the Holy Spirit is in each one of us. So we don't freak out. We rejoice. We worship God. Because I don't have to worry about demons. I don't have to worry about all the things happen. I win. This battle has been fought and it has been won. And I'm walking in that victory. I'm more than a conqueror. Will you stand this morning? Because if there's ever time to worship the Lord, it's when Satan rears up his ugly, uh, uh, well, I was going to say ugly head, but it really doesn't matter if he's ugly or not. It says he actually he's beautiful in the Bible. So, but when he rears up that demonic head and he comes against us with all the powers of hell, it cannot withstand. It cannot come against what's inside of you. And it's the point where we start to worship the Lord because I know who I am. And I'm going to worship him ahead of time saying, Satan, you know what? I'm going to worship. And it ticks him off because you know, you know, you know. So whatever you're going through right now in your life, you already won this thing. But you better start acting like it. You got to start acting like it. You got to remind Satan, I'm already more than a conqueror. And then we begin praying, we start releasing on earth. You know, though I walk through the valley, the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because God is with me. He prepares a table in the presence of my enemies as a form of glory of the Lord. As we sit there, we just eat because Jesus is with us at the table and all these demons are going, and we're just kind of laughing because, man, there ain't anything you can do when God's in my life. Amen? Do you believe that today? Will you just lift up your hands and say, God, I believe that I am more than a conqueror, that there ain't anything the enemy can do in my life today.